The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Soccer fans all over the world, it is time. It is time for another strong session of Into the Net FC. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The intensity on the pitch is about to go down and here we go ladies and gentlemen this is the bear of texas and i'd like to once again welcome you to another edition of into the net fc the Soccer Talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. Once again, I am reporting live from deep in the heart of Texas, and it's once again my honor to welcome back my good friend and my mentor, as usual, in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Steve Adams. What's up, Steve? Hey, greetings from nice and toasty Los Angeles, my end of the San Fernando Valley. We hit uh, triple digits today, so it was very warm. And uh, my goodness, so many talking points from over the weekend. Where do you want to begin? Well, I think we should begin, you know, just like we always do. You know what? Let's go ahead and begin with Brighton and Manchester United because even as a Manchester United fan, I was like, what in the hell just happened? Because... I looked at the score. It was two to two in the, in the goal app. It said f- f- FT, which means you know final. And then two hours later, I look I look at it again. It says three two. I was like, wait, what? And then I did the research and I found out why. Manchester United literally, should we say they stole it? Is is that fair to say? Well, I disagree. I think the penalty 
the penalty call was the correct call. I mean, it was a handball. It was. And, what's, I'm and, sorry, the go ahead. and the VAR showed that it was a handball. It's just the thing that made this very different is that, you know, the, the corner had been taken, the ball had taken a couple of deflections, including the handball, and the referee had blown his whistle. And, you know, he, he was persuaded, like, you know, hey, have a look at the VAR. You know, there was, you know, there was a pretty obvious handball there. Uh, so I've never seen a game where the PK was awarded actually after the final whistle had blown. I had never seen that. So I, I think the call was correct. Um, but uh, it... It certainly was was a very very early Christmas present for for Manchester United, who quite frankly were really lucky uh, to get out of the South Coast with the win because Brighton must have hit the woodwork about five or six times. My God, uh, they they really really were hitting De Gea's paper, um, woodwork quite a bit, and you know it looked like it was just going to end up being a, a fairly fought out. Well thought out, two-two draw, but uh, that very unique ending gave the the much needed three points to Man U after their dismal performance against Crystal Palace the, the earlier week. You know, there you go, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the key word, Manchester United. Yes, that's right. The Red Devils got lucky. Uh, I'm gonna do a little bit of further explanation. So yes, the whistle had been blown, but the fact is, yes, Steve is right. It was actually a handball. And I think the reason why it was eligible to be reviewed by the VAR was because the handball took place probably about three seconds before the whistle was blown. If it took place after the whistle was blown, it wouldn't have mattered because everything's blown dead. Even though the, the clock had stopped, but if it was right before the whistle, it's legitimately, it's legit, like they can still review it. I mean, well, I've seen it all. Now I can say, I mean, since you said you've never seen it before, I've never seen it before. So that's another situation where we say... Now I have seen it all. But uh, give Bruno Fernandez for having ice water in his veins. He, you know, took the penalty as the late Stuart Scott would say, "As cool as the other side of the pillow." <laughs> and uh, one of the other um, one one of the things lost in the midst of all this, uh, Marcus Rashford's fantastic goal uh, dribbled a couple of people in the box. Uh, fantastic finish. So, I mean, there was a really, really first-class goal uh, in the midst of all this. And then Brighton, earlier earlier on, um, you know, their their first goal off uh, Balpe's uh, penalty kick, you know, he did a Paneka uh, penalty, you know, where he just sort of lofts it. It's really, really cheeky when it works. Um, so I, there, there definitely was a lot to this game. Very entertaining game and very, very unique finish. Oh, very unique finish. That's an understatement. And and Marcus Rashford's goal. I mean, when I went back and watched it, I watched it ten times in a row because Marcus Rashford has an a I should say has a habit of scoring goals in such a unique way, you just cannot help but go back and watch it more than once. That's why I say Marcus Rashford's my favorite English player. Not Harry Kane, but Marcus Rashford. Not because he plays for Manchester United. Simply because the way he plays, the way he finishes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, talking about uh, English center forwards who seem to be catching the back of the net, Everton Crystal Palace, uh, Calvert-Levins, fifth goal of the season already for Everton. 
and um, a very, very well-earned win. Everton is still undefeated after three games. Mm -hmm. And that same player you described, he's currently tied with Jamie Vardy as being the top scorer in the Premier League. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward for in a couple of weeks when Everton and, um, and Liverpool play. That's it's going to be a rivalry game, and both both teams are scoring goals and play really, really offensive ball. That's going to be a really fun game. Absolutely. I mean, Liverpool, uh, excuse me, Everton is 3-0 for the first time, and it's probably going to be a very long time. I haven't had a chance to look back, but my, my gut feeling would be it would probably go back to, like, the 85-86 time frame there was that uh, time frame when Everton had won the European Cup Winners Cup and they had won a couple of top flight titles they would won a couple of FA Cups they were a very good side back then from the mid to the late 80s and um, you know this this Everton side is starting out like uh, it's it's going to give a, a lot of fans um, on the blue side of Liverpool a lot of hope absolutely and Everton's really showing that mentality. They're finally doing what I like to call is they're not showing any fear. They're with that mentality. They'll go to a big team and say, let's see what you got, tough guy. And with that mentality, they seem like they can really let their actions do the talking because they're going to be with, a, with another mentality that says actions speak louder than words and it's the results on the pitch that'll do the talking. No, no question. Um... Another game that had just, uh, it was truly a tale of two halves. Uh, West Brom versus Chelsea, that was one that ended up finishing 3-3. Uh, West Brom up 3-zip by the end of the first half. Just incredibly poor defense by Chelsea in the first half. Uh, uh, Silva coughs up, uh, easy ball. The Robinson steals, scores. Um Lampard makes some subs at half. Um, Mount scores a really, really nice goal for Chelsea. Uh, second ball, second goal was really, really well worked. And then, um, you know, all that pressure that Chelsea put on in the dying minutes of the game, they were just buzzing the West Brom net. Um, shot that was parried by the goaltender and right into the path of Tommy Abraham, who, who buried it. So um, I'm sure... On the, at first blush, I'm sure Chelsea is disappointed with a tie at West Brom, who had looked just brutal in their previous couple of games. But uh, West Brom, it's too bad for them. They had played so well in the first half, and it's they were so close to getting their first win of the, the season, and um, it, it didn't happen. But I think Chelsea, in the final analysis, I think they will have been relieved that they at least got a point out of that after just a really awful effort in the first half. Well, Chelsea's certainly lucky, and they should be uh, absolutely relieved, but at the same time, it's worrisome for them because since they had to come back, and it was not even 30 minutes where they were down 3 nothing. I believe it was at the 27th minute when West Brom was up by 3. And Chelsea struggling on defense. It seemed like everything was... They were struggling on all cylinders. And yeah, I like how you mentioned yeah, Thiago Silva. I believe, wasn't this his first game as... I think he was captaining this game, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean that really doesn't make him. That doesn't make it look good on him. You know, your first, you know, day as the captain of, of your new club. Four minutes in, you make a costly mistake, and your opponent takes full advantage of it. I mean, obviously that's you know that's a bad stain. I mean that's gonna affect you you know for a long time. But but 
you know, people are joking, says, well, that's what happens when you bring that PSG mentality with you. I'm like, people are just trying to, you know, make a joke out of it, but you know what? I mean, anybody is capable of making silly mistakes. I mean, every defender does it, you know? It, it happens. Soccer. Yeah. It, it happens. We'll talk about that a little with some of the other games from the weekend as well. Absolutely. So now we get to Burnley and Southampton. Well, Southampton, I, I I might have gotten this one wrong. I, I did I predict? I think I might have predicted a draw last week, but Southampton I, I takes the win. I predicted a draw this one too. Uh, Danny Ings uh, still keeps scoring goals. He got Southampton's winner, and um, you know, full credit to the Saints. They go go up to Turf Moor, they get all three points, and it was desperately needed after starting out the season with two losses. And that allows them to go to, currently now they're in 15th in the Premier League. And it's always good to get that first win, but you know, you gotta you gotta hustle, 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 you gotta keep it up. Now we move to Sheffield United and Leeds United. I'll tell you what, this is one where the Leeds goalie came up really big on uh, a couple of point blank saves um they they end up scoring off a, a header off a really really super cross um chef i mean compared to all the goals that Leeds have been scoring in their pre games they'd scored three goals and they scored four goals this time it was just uh one goal in this yorkshire derby but the one goal was enough to to beat sheffield who coming out of the gates are 0 and three Absolutely. And you know, what's what's so frustrating for Sheffield United is that this game, I mean, excuse me, the, this, the game-winning goal came at the 88th minute. I mean, that's, when, when, when a game ends one nothing, and an opponent concedes a goal that late in the game, that's just that's just a hair-pulling situation. I mean, just well, imagine, it, imagine if this was in a knockout game. Well, and this continues a really bad trend. Sheffield United still has yet to score a goal in their three games. Exactly, and and what's uh, what's even more frustrating is they're already they're in the regulation zone. They're nineteenth right now. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Chris Wise, the Sheffield coach, you know, in the interview afterwards, you know, he was frustrated because he really felt that his side did not necessarily play poorly, but you know, Leeds was able to do enough to get get the win, but um, the. The game that really created a lot of the talking points from over the weekend, though, was uh, Tottenham and Newcastle. See, this is a situation, Steve, where I'm not, where I'm gonna, where I'm not gonna deny that I was wrong, because I'm gonna say it. Last week, I said Tottenham would win four to one, and that Harry Kane and Ming Son would each score a brace. That did not happen. So therefore, I'm eating my words. But you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> This is probably a, this is a win for Newcastle United, if you ask me. Well, Tottenham should have won this game like four nil or whatever. You know, they hit the post several times, uh, multiple great chances. Um, you know, Kane gets a nice assist on Lucas Moura's goal, um, and this game, by the way, was watched by Gareth Bale from the press box. But the talking point on this one was the penalty that was given to Newcastle towards the end of the game and there's been a lot of talk about the newer interpretations of the handball rule and I must confess I'm not I'm not a fan of the new interpretation it used to be 
And, and, and it's also how I looked at the game, too, when I refereed high school soccer, when I still lived in Minnesota and I refereed high school soccer, you know, what I looked for, you know, was, was, that, was that hand to ball. You know, some of this stuff that you're seeing now, it's, it's not only ball to hand that's getting called as a handball, but it's also where defenders have been turned, you know, their back is towards, you know, whoever was shooting or passing the ball and the ball hits their arm, and penalties are being given for this. And um, you you cannot have so many games being decided by these. I mean, it's just a travesty. The the newer interpretation of the handball rules, it, it they have to go back to this. FIFA has to go back to this. Uh, you know, the governing bodies of soccer really, really, really uh, call emergency meeting, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's going to ruin the game. And, um, I mean, even uh, Steve Bruce, who's the Newcastle coach, uh, he admitted that, uh, you know, we really, really need to reassess this. We really need to reassess this. And, um, you know, he, he could understand why Jose Mourinho and uh, Tottenham were so upset Um, you know, it's, you know, he's like, you know, at some point this is going to come back to burn me too. So, um, yeah, very, very upset about it. Uh, Jose Mourinho tried not to say anything, you know, about the decision. Um, his, uh, Tottenham's goalkeeper coach, uh, Santos, he actually was red carded at the end of the game because uh, he went over and vociferously tried to make his point with the refereeing crew about that uh, the decision and that interpretation. So uh, a lot of talking points on this. I mean, Tottenham played well enough to win, should have won the game, but they got burned because they, they didn't take advantage of their chances. And uh, Newcastle got a gift from a really, really questionable interpretation of this new handball rule. It's just brutal. Absolutely. And, you know, the way you describe how the, the back is turned, that reminds me of how Paris Saint-Germain was eliminated from the Champions League by Manchester United when, in the closing seconds, defender, French defender Presnel Kipembe was called for that kind of handball. I mean, if the guy's head is turned, you know, it's like that, it's, it's not his fault. And if the ball if the ball hits the hand, but the player never moves his hand, that shouldn't be called. No, so yeah, FIFA does have to go back and review me and review it. But yeah, a lot of controversy in that game. Not so controversial, uh, but yet surprising, and also worth talking about. Manchester City getting taken totally to the woodshed by Leicester City. Did not see this one coming. I thought this was one that Man City would win, you know, fairly comfortably. Um, Man City came out of the blocks in this game. Mores, the Algerian forward who actually uh, played for Leicester City when they won the title five years ago, scores a fantastic goal off his right foot. He's normally a left-footed dominant player. Scores an absolutely wonder goal to open things up for, uh, for Manchester City. And then uh, after that, uh, things just sort of caved in for the citizens. 
you know, here's two things that I find so ironic about this game. Number one is my my prediction came true. I did actually predict Leicester City would pull off the upset, although I had it I had him winning three to two. So I was close. And number two, I had Jamie Hardy scoring a brace, but it turns out he did better. He scored a freaking hat trick. <laughs> I mean, and I and, and I said, I mean, Joe's probably gonna hate me for saying this, uh, but <laughs> but I'm gonna go with Leicester City, and and apparently. My prediction, while not 100% accurate, the bottom line is I did have Leicester City win, and my predictions don't often come true, but this one, I mean, this is probably once, this is just probably once in a million where, where a prediction, when I pick someone over a team like Leicester City over Man City, and Leicester City actually gets the job done, I mean, this may not happen ever again. Well, the first Leicester City goal by Vardy off a uh, Castagna center, and he does this little cheeky little backheel flick. It was just... Uh, an absolute thing of beauty, but uh, as well as Vardy is starting out the year, I mean, I'm sure Gareth Southgate, you know, I wonder if he's thinking about maybe picking up the phone and asking Vardy if he really, really wants to reconsider uh, keeping his international career with England retired because uh, the man can still score goals. Exactly. He still has it. You know he's you know he's thirty three years old, but he's still playing. He, he still he still looks fresh to me. He still has passion for the game. He loves the game. And if there's if I you know if there's a chance if he sold it, there's a good chance. Like if if he was sold, England really needs you. I mean, he should consider. I mean this this will be this will be a chance to rectify some things that happened in the past. I mean, Hardy is on fire. Well, and the thing is, since uh, since twenty fourteen. Against the big six clubs. So, you know, Liverpool, the two Manchester teams, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham. He has, Jamie Vardy in five years has 37 goals against the big six clubs since the 2014-2015 season. It's the most of anybody in the EPL by a very, very wide margin. Um, So, I mean... You know, he doesn't just show up to play when um, the Foxes are playing lesser opposition. He brings his A game on when they're playing top flight opposition. In other words, he has a habit of coming up clutch. And that's what England needs. So England's really got to consider calling in a meeting and convincing the guy to come back to the English national team. I mean, it's... I, I got to think that he would be a help for England at the Euros. Uh, I don't know if he'd be too old to be around for 2022. I mean, that's just two years, but, um, you know, it's it's hard to say. And also, other statistic of note from this game, the five goals that Man City coughed up against the Foxes, the most goals that have been scored at Manchester City since 2003. That, you know, that's a hell of a soundbite right there. I mean, Leicester City ought to take a bow because I mean, they're, on, they're currently on top. I mean, they lead the Premier League, 12 go- goals for, uh, forced, only f- allowing four goals. I mean, this this team is – I mean, imagine Le- Leicester City right now has great potential of, of winning the Premier League again. Yeah, and at, at this point uh... – you have to really start talking about them after the total dismantling they did against Pep Guardiola's guys. Um, 
you know, I think I think they're going to be in it for the long haul. Just like I think I think Everton is is not going to be going away anytime soon either. See, and that's what makes it so interesting. I mean, if if this year, if Leicester City and Everton are the two top teams, the two best teams in this league, it's just more and more surprises because you don't often see those two teams actually fighting on top. I mean, them outshining teams like Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a story to write, especially for me. Yeah, no question. Um, so full credit to Brendan Rodgers for you know his players just doing a, a master class effort against Man City. Um, back to the drawing board for Pep Guardiola. Mm-hmm. I mean... When, when that happened, you know, a friend of mine who's just really not a fan, he's just not a fan of Pep Guardiola. He's just like how my dad's not a fan of Deschamps. This dude's just not a fan of Pep Guardiola. He sends me a text message saying, you see, Alex, I told you Pep is way overrated. And since I didn't know what to say, I, I just simply said something that we sports writers slash reporters, journalists don't like to hear. I said no comment. <laughs> because really, we hate, we hate hearing that. But now we move to West Ham and the Wolverhampton Wolves. Well, that's another prediction I got wrong because I had a 2-2 two to two tie. Well, the Hammers got a much-needed win. And the, true to their nickname, the Hammers, 4-zip over the Wolves. Uh, it was a really, really good effort by West Ham. Um, their first goal they got, uh, they showed a lot of savvy on the uh, on a penalty, they took the quick kick off the foul, and that set up the first Hammers goal. Great finish. Um, second goal was a nice job of poaching off the post. Um, and then, you know, the, the third goal was a little bit of bad luck for the Wolves because it was an own goal by the, the Mexican forward, Jimenez. So um, he's I guess he showed that he could score on the opposite end of the field and not just scoring against his opponents. But... Uh, very, very much needed game, uh, much needed win for uh, the Hammers. You see, and here's another example. You, you you recall when he said that having longer ball possession is so overrated? Right. See, and there's another example because Wolverhampton had 64%. And not only that, West Ham United had 367 passes, while Wolverhampton had 626 well, that's a perfect example of the point you made a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's by far and away the most deceptive and most most overused statistic in soccer. And my dad told me to tell you that when it comes to the ball possession being so overrated, you are absolutely 100% right. Because my dad says, "What's what good is it if you have longer ball possession but you can't score? Yeah, I mean, you got to be dangerous with the ball position possession. I mean, you know the the poster child of the the possession game was uh, the those Barcelona teams that Pep Guardiola was coaching uh, 2009, 10, 11, 12. I mean, when they played such sublime soccer and they were winning everything, and I mean, in those games, you know, they would they would dominate possession, but they would also you know, create the goal chances as well. But, um, but you know, that's kind of faded into a distant memory now, I think. Absolutely. And, I mean, for West Ham, I mean, th- this is great. I mean, 
in their case, I, I can only hope that they build on this because you know when you have when you pull off an upset when nobody expects you to win, you gotta build on it. And this and that win allows West Ham now they're eleventh, okay, right under Newcastle, and they only trade Chelsea, they only trailing Chelsea for ninth by uh, you know two spots. So if West Ham can keep winning, then things can finally start to change. However, really at the end of the day, all I can say is we have to wait and see. In other words, it simply remains to be seen. Well, right now, after uh, the first few games, the teams that are right now in the, the biggest trouble right now, uh, Fulham and uh, Sheffield United, are both pretty solidly at 19th and 20th. Burnley's only played two games. They they don't have any points either. Uh, West Brom, they're sitting at one point after three games after their, their gutsy draw against uh, um, Chelsea. But, uh, you know, I have a feeling that those four teams, uh, West Brom, Burnley, Sheffield United, and Fulham, and I still, there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, West Ham will probably be, you know, in that discussion as, as the season progresses, too, for, you know, fighting for survival. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, now, and speaking of Fulham, and we get to this game, Fulham and Aston Villa. Wow. Grealish had a great game for the Villains. A um, couple of goals. Um, Fulham's defense was just, to use a very British expression, they were all at sixes and sevens. <laughs> they just they were just having a, a really really rough day at the office. Um, very little on attack. Poor defense. Um, it might be a very 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 long season at Craven Cottage. Absolutely. I mean, it's unfortunate for Fulham. Their return to the top flight, you know, so far it, it really hasn't been any, there's been no uh, no positivity, I mean, no happiness at all. No, not at all. And really it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. No, but um, the the more interesting game on Monday was the one that we, we had all been waiting for anyway was uh, Arsenal traveling up to Anfield to play Liverpool. Um, at first it was... Not looking good for Liverpool the, off of Andy Robertson error that Lacazette got as a very, very early present, cashed that goal in, and is like, oh, great, here we go. Liverpool has all the possession. And then, you know, Arsenal goes ahead one zip. But uh, Liverpool equalized not too long after that. And then they just sort of just sort of took over and pretty well dominated the game. Um, one thing that should not be overlooked, though, uh, later on in the second half, uh, Allison Becker, Liverpool's Brazilian goalkeeper, made a couple of point-blank saves. One, he somehow made himself look really big to deny Lacazette uh, what at that time would have been an equalizing goal. So uh, Becker continues to prove his worth as just a, a fantastic goaltender. And this is another one of the games where my, my prediction was this close to being 100% accurate. I predicted Liverpool winning 3-2. to two. Now, I did have Sadio Mane scoring, but I also had Mo Salah scoring twice. Unfortunately, Mo Salah did not score in this game. But, see, I, I liked it. You know, like I said, you know, take, you know, gives Arsenal the, the lead. And then three minutes later, Liverpool wastes no time, and they respond courtesy of Sadio Mane. 
See, th- that's the uh, mentality that we've talked about so many times. I mean, there's a times where Liverpool starts off bad, they somehow quickly manage to regroup, and the the, cha- the game shifts into their favor. And it's not by luck. I mean, they make it get into their favor. Like, they really just go out there and fight. They go out there and play, well, and play soccer. Well, case in point on that, Liverpool's second goal by Andy Robertson, uh, if you take a look at the replay on that, as the play is developing on the right side of the field and as Alexander-Arnold is preparing to make the cross, Robertson makes absolutely a blistering run from his left fullback position to get into the box, you know, meets the ball, fantastic finish, buries it. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of great work there. Uh, Robertson did a great job of analyzing the play. He read and understood what his teammate was going to do, and then he made just a, a fantastic run to get in the position to to be on the other end of that ball. Great goal. And that's Liverpool for you. That unique mentality and the ability of scoring absolutely amazing goals and the abil- and the willingness of taking risks to make those goals. That's why Liverpool is so tough, ladies and gentlemen, but you got to give them credit. Like them or not, you can't deny it. They're a good football club. And, um, you know, the other things that came out of that, um, their recent signing that they had, um, Diogo Jota, who is a forward they picked up from Wolves, scores his first goal for Liverpool towards the end of the game. Um, and when the, during this, the time he came on as a, as a late sub, he showed himself to be lively, dangerous, came close to scoring uh, almost within minutes of getting on the first time. And then nice touch to get Liverpool's third goal. Uh, the only really bad thing that's come out of the weekend for Liverpool, because, yeah, it was great to beat Arsenal and great to do it with style points, but unfortunately their recent acquisition from uh, Bayern Munich, Thiago Alcantara, uh, positive with COVID. So uh, he's going to be on the shelf, uh, I reckon, for a couple weeks while he quarantines himself after being positive. And the other concern has to be as well for Liverpool you know, did anybody else possibly pick this up as well, too? Because if you have any type of significant outbreak among, you know, even, you know, three or four of your key starters uh, can just be disastrous. I mean, if it happened with the team, then more than likely there's a chance that another player is going to come down with it. But I sincerely pray that it that it's not true. But, and speaking of Diogo Jota, I... For for him to score just like that, I, I guess it's his way of saying thank you, Liverpool, for signing me. Well, <laughs> and if you're if you're a Wolves fan, you just have to be you know a little bit frustrated, you know, seeing guys like uh, like Doherty and um, you know Diogo to you know go to bigger clubs. Uh, it's it's the one thing that's just really frustrating when you're you know one of the smaller fish, and when you finally get yourself a really really good player. And you end up, you know, selling them to, to make a profit for the big clubs. And I mean, you know, it's I mean, it's the nature of the beast with soccer. I mean, Liverpool picked up Sadio Mane from Southampton a couple of years ago. So um, it's it's just one of those things. I mean, or just like when Chelsea picked up N'Golo Kanté. No, exactly. 
but uh, but yeah, but no, it was very 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 good week of, of soccer. Um, you know, some upsets. You know, the goals continue to rain in, but uh, but but for me, for the weekend, the big talking point is I still think, you know, they've got to come up with something more common sense on the interpretation of the handball rule because it's it's absolutely going to wreck the game as a spectacle. See, and speaking of the handball, since this week there's no request, I'm actually going to have the question for you, but I'm going to save it till the end, and it does involve a handball. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and take a look at week four. Let's give and let's give our usual couple of predictions. So game one, I'm looking at match day match day number four out of thirty eight, Chelsea versus Crystal Palace at Samford Bridge. And I think Chelsea. I think Chelsea comes away, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give them a two to one win because Crystal Palace does have some resiliency and they're pre- and, and they have guts. London Derby. Uh, I think I do think Chelsea takes this game, um, but uh, but Frank Lampard certainly has some things that have to get cleaned up. They've got to get. 90 full minutes of good effort out of their defense. Absolutely. I mean, personally, I would love to see Olivier Giroud score a goal. <laughs> Everton and Brighton, I think uh, the high-flying Blues, I I think that they take this one against against Brighton as they go up to Merseyside. I'm going to go Everton wins 3-0. Leeds Man City, Oh boy, I kind of feel sorry for Leeds in this one because uh, I I just really think that after that really horrible effort by Manchester City against the Foxes over the weekend, I gotta think that they're gonna be um, ready for a major beatdown. And I think in this case, I think they're gonna go up to Yorkshire, and I think uh, I think the citizens will get all three points up in Yorkshire. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Manchester City wins three to two, and why? Because we all saw how Leeds United did against Liverpool. Even though they're not coming off the best game, I still think. And Manchester City is obviously coming off a bad game. I still think Leeds United is gonna is gonna do like like I said. They're they're gonna look at Manchester City in the face and say, "Bring it on, tough guy." So, I, but I'm gonna say Leeds United. It's not a loss. It's gonna be a losing effort. So I think Manchester City comes up on top and they win three to two. Newcastle Burnley. Uh, this is the type of game that Newcastle will lose. Uh, it's against a team that they probably should beat. Newcastle's playing at home. Uh, Burnley has lost their first two games, which I think to me, uh, and I think for a lot of Geordie fans, should be like, oh God, um, game that we should win and we probably won't. I think Burnley will. I think Burnley surprises Newcastle at St James's Park. I think they get the win up in the north of England. Okay, I'm gonna go with. Probably, I'm, I'm gonna follow your lead. I think you know Newcastle's not really feeling well. I think Burnley pulls it off too. Leicester City, West Ham, Foxes. Yeah, Leicester, Leicester, Leicester. Leicester City is on fire. More importantly, Jimmy Vardy's on fire. I expect him to only just to keep the momentum going. I say Leicester City wins. I'm gonna go four to one. I mean, and and, and me giving West Ham a goal. It, this is just this is just me being nice. I'm nice enough to at least say West Ham's gonna score one goal. West Brom going down to the south coast to play Southampton. Um, 
that's, that's well, a little uh, tricky if you ask me. It's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one because West Brom played so well in the first half uh, against Chelsea. Um, you know, Southampton's got to prove that they've got somebody other than Danny Ings who can score. I mean, the guy has scored like 47% of the, of the Saints' goals uh, the last couple of years, just some ridiculous percentage like that. Uh, I think Southampton takes this one. I have, to, I have to agree. I think Southampton t- takes it, but how West Brom was tough against Chelsea, at least for the first half of the game, I think it's going to be 2-1 for Southampton. Arsenal-Sheffield United uh, in, the, in the battle of armaments, Gunners versus Blades. Um, I think I take Arsenal. Yeah, I'll go Arsenal. I, I go Arsenal 3-1. Wolves hosting Fulham. Fulham looking just dreadful to start the new year. And um, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot with the trip up to Wolverhampton. i got to think that uh, Traore and Jimenez, who as a tandem have actually been kind of quiet to start this season, I think that they'll open things up. I think Wolves should win this one fairly easily. I agree. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Wolves win 4-0. to Now, Fulham fans are probably going to ask me, why am I not nice enough to give him, to give Fulham a goal? It's because Fulham really, there's just there's nothing positive coming out of the team. There's no vision, no passion. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, you know, some might say Fulham wasn't prepared to return to the top flight. I mean, I personally can't prove that, but... It, Fulham is just off to the bad start, and you know, like I said earlier, I don't see anything changing anytime soon. Not anything positive, at least. So that's why I'm I'm going Wolves win four to zero. Interesting one at Old Trafford. Man U hosting Spurs. Oh boy, Jose Mourinho making his return to Old Trafford. Well, I can tell you this: uh, if if the game if the game was uh, full of fans, I can assure you that he's not going to get a warm reception. He's probably going to get booed out of the stadium. But Manchester United is horrible. They were lucky to get that win against Brighton. And in most cases with Manchester United, luck doesn't repeat itself this quick. But since Tottenham, on the other hand, has not put out the best results, I mean, if I remember correctly, they're coming off a 1-1 tie against Newcastle, right? Yeah, but they did... They they did everything but score more goals. They dominated play. They hit the woodworks several times. I actually think Tottenham goes to Old Trafford, and I think they win this one. I mean, I'm going to have to agree. I mean, because David De Gea is not very good at making saves. Unfortunately, he makes a lot of errors, and it's at the point where I think 98% of Manchester United fans don't trust the guy. I mean, they probably want him to be sold. They don't want him on the team. They don't even want him to start. So it hurts me to say this, but I think Tottenham wins three to one. And the last game on Sunday in a battle of two teams that have won the European Champions Cup slash Champions League, uh, Aston Villa hosts Liverpool. And for people who are under the age of forty and are scratching their heads, yes, Aston Villa actually won the Champions Cup back in nineteen eighty-two. Um, been a while. Since uh, since they've had any major hardware up in Birmingham, and they'll be playing this at Villa Park in Birmingham, um, 
Villa certainly had a very good performance the other day, but uh, I I think Liverpool gets all three points in the West Midlands. I'm gonna you know cut to the chase. Liverpool wins. Well, that wraps up for Premier League. Let's take a quick look at League One. And speaking of League One, uh, Angel Di Maria has been uh, will serve a suspension for uh, the spitting incident. And you know we talked about this it, that uh, I think it was a four game sus- suspension, but I felt like that was a bit lenient because, and, and we really should talk about this. Like you remember back in two thousand five when Fabian Barthez, who had recently returned to Olympique de Marseille was suspended for six months for allegedly spitting at a referee. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, because everybody was asking. I mean, some, some people would say, like, why would Angel Maria get four games while Fabian Barthez got six months? Well, remember, Fabian Barthez didn't really miss that many games. I'm, I'm not sure exactly when the suspension took place. I mean, I'm guessing it was probably in the spring or whatever. But really, mm-hmm. Marse- I mean, Marseille... Was, had already secured, I think, the League One. He only he, during that time he only missed a couple of games. So, but I mean, from what I understand is, some people say he spat at the referee. But no, if it says he spat uh, the tour towards the referee, like he probably spat towards him, but not on him. But regardless, as Stephen would, as Steve, excuse me, would say, spinning is vile. I mean, it's it's not a good thing to do, even if you're pissed off at the referee. But I mean, if if you do it, you got to be punished. Yeah, pretty nasty, but um, but yeah, League One, uh, Ren is still the surprise leader um, after five games. Uh, they're actually four points ahead of PSG, who are back in seventh, but um, you know, kind of tough for Ren. Uh, they just sold their their, their good goaltender to... Um, I believe for Chelsea, was it? For Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea, yes. So that was kind of a tough break for them, but uh, you know, but they're playing well out of the blocks. So at PSG, five games, they've got three wins, uh, two losses. Marseille, after beating PSG, they've just absolutely gone into freefall out of their next three games after the PSG game. They've got all of two two points out of those out of those games, and that includes. You know, two losses, um, a loss and a draw at home. And the last draw they had was against Mets, which is a team that they should have beaten at home. So, uh, you know, things things not going so well the last three weeks over in Marseille. It hasn't. And uh, speaking, and you know, Paris Saint-Germain, on the other hand, they're on a three-game winning streak. They're they're on the win streak, and I mean I still think you know, they'll they'll end up winning this thing, you know, probably fairly easily. But you know it's it's nice to at least see a little bit of competition and seeing a few teams that that are ahead of PSG out of the block. Um, so uh, so yeah, right now right now in League One, it's Rennes, Lille, and Montpellier are the top three. And PSG at this point, I think I I can honestly say. They're just climbing right back on top. I mean, they're like, you know, the, no more games. The fun's over. Now we're now we're getting serious. And, you know, in the last game, uh, it was two nothing. I believe it was who was it against? I'm looking at. 
it was oh, against the uh, Rams. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mari Cardi uh, scored both goals, and that game before that, Kylian Mbappe came back and scored a goal of his own. So, I think PSG is, is like slowly getting it back together. They're finally becoming that dominant League One team again, and you know, like I said, they're just climbing right back on top. And Monaco is actually not is not off to a bad start. Three wins, one draw, one loss. They're currently in fifth. Well, when they had the win against Strasbourg over the weekend, um, the one little trivia tidbit out of the game between Reims and PSG, Reims actually, once upon a time, they were actually the first French club to play in a Champions Cup final. Back in the back in the 50s, late 50s, they lost uh, a couple of finals to Real Madrid, and uh, that was sort of like the first golden age of, uh, of French soccer when you had guys like uh, Jules Fontaine, um, we're playing. We're playing for us. So uh, they're a team that you know. I think this year they're probably going to be struggling a bit to to stay in the French top flight. Uh, gorgeous city. If you ever get a chance to go to Rennes, it's right in the Champagne region. They probably have the best Gothic cathedral in all of France. But um, but yeah. Uh, but as far as they're they're not going to be terribly competitive in League One. But uh, you know, still just. Seeing that score with uh, with PSG and Rennes brings brings back um, a lot of memories when I was doing a lot of my reading as a younger soccer fan about French soccer. It's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that that little history lesson, Steve. I really appreciate that. And uh, oh, the other guy I forgot who was a great guy for Rennes, Raymond Copa. He was a guy who uh, Real Madrid were so impressed with him. Uh, when Real Madrid beat Reims in the first time they played, that they ended up buying his contract out from Reims, and then he became the first French player to play on a Champions Cup team. So, um, anyway, little little bit of trivia for you there. Yeah, I mean, Raymond Coppa and Jules Fontaine, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, that's France's first golden generation. No, no question. is definitely part of, like, the first golden era of French soccer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Even before, I mean, even before uh, Platini arrived, there was definitely, uh, there was definitely a golden generation. I, I believe in '58. I mean, that golden generation, they were third place in the '58 World Cup, weren't they? They were. Yeah, they were. And um, you know, Jules Fontaine, he scored some ridiculous thing like 13 goals in that World Cup. And I mean, this was, and and this was in an era where there was only 16 teams in the World Cup. So. You know, you didn't play nearly as many games in a World Cup like you do now, but uh, but yeah, you know, they for for a long time that was that was the best result for the French national team. See, that's why I'm proud that France won their two World Cups when the World Cup tournament had more teams and it was more competitive. Mm-hmm. All right, so that wraps up League One. Now, unfortunately, there's no request this week. I'm but. But my question is, since you spoke of the handball, and I'm sure that we had this conversation when I visited you in L.A., the handball from the 2018 World Cup that gave France the penalty, do you agree that it was the right call or not, and why? I'm sorry, could you repeat that again, Alex? Uh, You remember in the 2018 FIFA World Cup final, how right before halftime, France was awarded a penalty because a Croatian player was caught, uh, was penalized for, or was, you know, was fouled because he gave a he used his hand on a handball. 
Oh, that one I do think was the correct call. I do think that was a handball. See, me too. And, and uh, do you want to go? We want to go. Uh, I was gonna explain why I think, but I'm gonna go ahead and let you go first. Uh, you want to? You want to explain why? Well, I mean, I thought it was hand the ball, and you know, not not really much more I can say say to that. Um, you know, I, I thought that there was enough where I, I don't I don't think it was ball to hand. I think there was movement by the Croatian guy's arm towards the ball. So, see, that's the key right there, right there. Steve just pointed it out, folks, because. That player not only moved his arm, but he moved his hand. Like, he opened his palm of his hand towards the ball as he moved his arm. That was the dead giveaway. I think that's why the referee double-checked the VAR. I mean, a lot of people... I mean, a lot of people, if they feel like, yeah, it was a handball because I support France, like, no. Like, go take a look. Like, it'll show the replay slowly. That Croatian player moved his hand and opened his hand at the same time. That's the dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even though France was awarded the penalty, I mean, you know, when when Griezmann, you know, took it, I mean, I'll admit, I, I initially had my doubts. I was scared that he was going to crumble under so much pressure and then not be able to convert, but he did. And France, you know, the whole the whole time, France didn't dominate the game. I mean, Croatia sort of did, but this is not a situation where ball possession is overrated. I mean. Croatia simply could not score. Like, France was launching counterattacks, and Hugo Lloris was kind of just denying him left and right. I mean, France was just literally getting into Croatia's head, you know, running the ball around, you know, just trying to end the game. You know, we have a a good score. Let's end it now. And until Hugo Lloris decided to act a little bit funny, but which, you know, could have changed the game. But unfortunately, France held on to win. But because and the reason why I had to ask and I wanted to talk about this because it's because Harry Shearer was very unhappy with the call. If I remember the headline, he he called he quoted the whole situation a disgrace to football. Hmm. With with regarding the, the Croatia France game. Yeah, regarding the the handball that the handball penalty that France was awarded. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I. You know, it's you know don't know what to say. Uh, I mean, and at this point, it's it's ridiculous really to go back and debate that one. But uh, clearly, though, some of the calls that happened uh, over the last week or two uh, are just really really curious. It's it's not how the handball thing was supposed to be. I mean, VAR was supposed to. It, it was supposed to clear up situations where the referee might have missed it on the field. And, you know, it's it's kind of disheartening to me, you know, all these cases where somehow, some way, VAR has managed to actually screw up decisions, um, you know, on offside goals, on handball goals. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's disappointing. I think the idea of VAR is good. Because, I mean, a lot of sports out there use uh, replay and they use the the video official to make calls. Rugby does it with uh, a great deal of success. You know, it may not be perfect in uh, the NFL or or Major League Baseball, but I think they're they're kind of on overall on the right track there. But uh, but with VAR... um, 
I know that there's 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 a pretty sizable fan base that would just like to see VAR scrapped altogether and just you know put it back to the referee and the linesman. I think VAR should stay, but what we have to keep in mind is VAR does not make the official decision. At the end of the day, it's the ref. I mean, even if the referee sees that it's clearly a handball, the referee could literally still deny it, deny not give the penalty. Because at the end of the like I just said. The VAR is stands for video assistant referee. I mean, that here's the keyword assistant. It's it helps the referee if if he missed it or if it happens too fast, it gives him the the chance to double check. So if the ref the, the the official decision lies upon the referee, so really, it's not the VAR. That's I mean, the VAR may screw up, but when it comes to official decisions, it's the ref. It's on the ref. The one thing that I like with VAR, the thing that where. You can use it to great um, to great use is on the offside call because prior to VAR, the offside call was easily the most blown call in soccer. And um, you know now you've got the situation where you know the the referee and the linesman might make a they'll let a play go to the end until the ball's in the back of the net. And then they'll review the play to see if there was offside in the buildup. And if there was offside, okay, fine, the goal's disallowed. But what would happen before is that, you know, they would they would blow the offsides and then upon further review find out, no, the guy timed his run absolutely perfectly, shouldn't have been offside. So anyway, I I, I think VAR. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to change. I think. I, th- I think the genie's out of the bottle, so to speak. But I think it just needs to get tweaked. Um, you know, especially as we come up to another cycle of uh, Champions League soccer. You know, we come up to the Euros that, God willing, will get played next year. Um, you know, the World Cup now is just two years away. So you hope. That they can they can get the bugs worked out of the system, but uh, but the biggest thing for me right now is just the interpretation on the handball rule. They've absolutely got to go back and they've got to they've got to get this right. Well said, Steve. Well said. And FIFA, if you happen to be listening to this, if I were you, I would take that into consideration. Go back and take a look because it has to be changed. There's some changes to be made. No doubt about it. Well, that is a wrap for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, just a friendly reminder that Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and now I'm proud to say that it is available on Amazon Music. Steve, thank you so much for coming back. Looking forward to have you back next week. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a good rest of your week, everybody. Everybody have a good night. Goodbye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.